0: If you're booked onto the oral uh, communications course, it's in the lecture room. Could you come over now? Because um, Dr Lewandowski's starting, started. Okay.
1: If you're meant to be on the oral communication. Huh? There's some keys that were found at Villy's house. Um... Anyone lost keys? No? Well, someone has. Anyone not been able to get into their home recently? Oh, okay. Well, who knows? (coughs) Well, um, Ruth is going to say something. You know, it's um, not believing in women ministry. I thought I'd ask my wife to say something tonight. Give her a big hand. You know. Um,
0: We've been away, as you all guess. I guess you know, three weeks, which seems forever. Um, We were supposed to be back on Sunday for the service, but. a thunderstorm delayed us in Miami, so we couldn't be here. Uh, we arrived home about 11 to 11.15 um, in the morning, so by that time you were half through your service. So, um, I'm, that was a shame, I'm sorry we weren't here. Um, we, had th- we went to three places. The first place we went to was Aruba, which is an island off the coast of Venezuela. And um, Bishop Barroso um, uh, kindly gave us three days holiday there, which was very nice. And um, so it was, it was, it's a lovely island um, in the Caribbean. Um, It's always windy, very, very windy. We played two games of golf, and the the wind really made a difference to the golf. (laughs) The the ball practically came back in your face when you were against the wind. Um, But it was very pleasant. They hired a villa. We had a swimming pool in the in the garden, and it was a very nice three days' rest. And we inspired Bishop Barroso to want to play golf, so he is now keen to start. <laughs> so I don't know whether we affected him spiritually, but we certainly affected him, <laughs> inspiring him with golf. So then we went on to his um, city, which is Cabimas, and um, which is near Maracaibo, which is the second city in. Um, Venezuela. Cabimas is just across the water from uh, um, Maracaibo. There's a large inland lake there where they have all the oil under the water. And uh, they took us to see the area where they have the oil. And we couldn't believe the hundreds and hundreds of oil wells just everywhere. Um, it, it must be so rich in oil. and it. Um, As I think I told you before, you can fill up a Mercedes for eight pounds (laughs) in Venezuela. That is ridiculous, isn't it? The price of petrol there. So we did, uh, Michael preached, uh, I think, seven or eight times while we were there. I preached twice and Sheila gave her testimony. Um, It was a good time. Um, what what was lovely, one of the lovely things was um, when I was in Venezuela in March, I had a girl called Cynthia for my interpreter. And uh, she's uh, a young woman of 27 who's just about to get married. And uh, she really did a good job interpreting for me. And then this time for Michael, they had her brother called Luis. He's uh, 25 years old and is in business, in, uh, has a, a bakery. And they both know English because they spent some time in Tulsa when their father was studying um, at the University of Tulsa um, for a degree. He is, his, the, their father is in oil and he's been a very good father to them. He's told his children, each one, I will pay for your education as long as you study. And so they've all studied well. They've done degrees. They're professionals. She's um, a lawyer. Um, He's at the moment in doing this bakery, but he has got a degree in animal husbandry. And then their their sister is going to be an architect, is studying to be an architect, and the youngest one is still at school. The father had never really been to church at all, um, his, um, he kind of thought his wife was a bit religious, and every time she asked him, he would always refuse. However, when Cynthia asked him to come and listen to her translating for me, he, uh, to her amazement, agreed. <laughs> and he's so he's been coming on and off to church ever since then. Um, but this time, when Michael was preaching, he really had a wonderful encounter with God, and his whole face changed, his whole life changed. And there was a real um, significant difference in everything that he did and said. So the children were thrilled that this is what had happened to their father as a result of them translating. Well, this young man, Louis, had hair down to about here. So you can imagine, the minute Michael saw him, he started at him <laughs> about this hair. <laughs> and they went on and on, backwards and forwards, and Bishop Barroso joined in, and it got to be quite a joke in, while he was interpreting. You know, if he made a mistake, Michael would say, oh, well, that's because he hasn't had his hair cut. <laughs> and uh, so... Finally, after about the third day of constant badgering, he decided to get his hair cut. He said he, he apparently he told his mother that he once Michael had explained the reason why he understood why he should get his hair cut. So he went. He did that. And it was lovely to see the relationship that Michael developed with him over the period of time. So that they loved the show between the preacher and the interpreter as much as they loved what he was saying. <laughs> so it went very well. And he was, a, he was very greatly affected, Luis, this young man, by the time he'd spent a whole week with us. And at the end of the time... Um, it was Father's Day on the Sunday, and the whole family bought Michael a beautiful pair of shoes, which fitted perfectly the best Venezuelan shoes you can get to say thank you. And so that was very special. Um, we, it was an interesting time because the um, what ha- how Barroso uh, organizes his church is that he has lots of congregations scattered throughout the different areas around kabimas and each pastor he has there is in charge of a congregation and um, what they come together for uh in the big church which seats about a thousand people but there's so many of them that you never get the same people coming to the same sur- to one to the to more than one service in the week so it was a bit unnerving to find that you had to... You couldn't do... Michael was expecting to be able to do a, a series because he was doing so many services, but you couldn't do a series because it was always new people the next night. Um, so um, he had to uh, put on his thinking cap again and change him, what he was doing. Uh, but it was wonderful to see how many new people got saved... Got healed, some lovely healings, um, and uh, they they just flocked forwards. Um, at the end of um, this, each service, I would hundreds of them flock forwards and uh, gave their lives to Christ, and um, it was excellent. And then the last day was Father's Day, as I said before. And so he has three services on a Sunday, and very few people are the same people in these three services, just the musicians and the pastors. So Michael preached on the mornings, the first morning service, which is at 8.30, 8 o'clock. I preached at the half past 10 one, and Michael preached again at the f- 5 o'clock one in the evening. And uh, so since it was Father's Day, we decided we we ought to do something around the fact that it was Father's Day. And um, Bishop Barroso's wife had done an excellent program with the children. And she had got all the children up there um, singing songs about fathers, um, saying the scriptures about fathers, and uh, saying poems about fathers, all different things. And uh, some of these things were really quite challenging when you heard them out of the children 's mouths. You thought, "Oh <laughs> uh, that must have really hit home to the fathers and One of the things that the children, what the children said um, really it uh, really sparked something off for Bishop Reed, so he spoke about fathers, and then apparently I'd, i wasn 't there at that service. I was preparing for the next service that I was going to be in. And apparently, we both more or less said exactly the same thing. Um, the children spoke at both services before we, before we preached. And so they were delighted with that, and it went very well indeed. Um, it, what is good about that church is that there are many, many men in the church. And that was something that I really said that I had noticed that was a big plus for them that there are lots of men in the church. Because you would be surprised, but so many people who come here say to us, how do you get the men in the church? Um, Because they're so used to seeing so many churches so full of women. And um, that was one of the things, of course, that uh, staggered. I've just been reading The Happiest People on Earth, And that was what staggered um, Dimas Shikarian when he started visiting American churches. He couldn't believe how many women there were in the churches and where were the men. That's what prompted him to start the Full Gospel Businessman's Fellowship because he was so disturbed by the lack of men in churches. And so it's a a very healthy church in the sense that there are many, many men there. And um, it's, um, there were one or two um, things that came to light that Bishop Barroso needed to um, change, but then that was a good thing to, uh, for them to come to the light. Especially one, two of his pastors seemed to be flowing in a completely different direction to him. And so uh, it was a good job he found that out. Um, then we went on to Tulsa. We went to the ICBM conference. Uh, which is the International Charismatic Bible Ministries Conference, which is something that Oral Roberts started in 1986 um, after he was thrown out by the Methodists. Um, Apparently, one morning he woke up Uh, and was um, was given the newspaper, and in the newspaper, the local newspaper, it announced that he'd been thrown out of this denomination. Well, nobody had written to him, nobody told him, and nobody has ever written to him or told him that he was thrown out. But he took it as something from God and decided to start the ICBM. And one of the things that he really wanted to do was make it a place where hurting and devastated ministers could come and get help. And so they get about um, 4,000 ministers there. They get about 4,000 ministers there. And um, it's it's a good time for them to get to find some answers for their problems. One, for instance, one poor man came up when Benny Hinn was there and uh, he was a minister and he explained how he had taken a gun and shot himself in the head and the bullet had ricocheted off his jawbone down through his, uh, missed his um, spine and his main artery and lodged down here. (laughs) Amazing. He'd done it the week before. His church had split twice and he was terribly depressed
1: my comment was he was such a failure he couldn't even shoot himself properly
0: <laughs> <laughs> but um <laughs> so that is the type of person that um i think oral wanted to try and help when he started the icbm um it's uh, so they have a variety of speakers, and um, some of them, you know, you think to yourself, and others uh, are, v- are very helpful. Aral sat down, he was there, he was recovered from his broken um, pelvis, and so he sat on a chair and gave... A whole uh, he said I'm gonna sit down because I'm teaching I'm if I stand I'm gonna preach so I want to sit down and teach and he gave us a whole kind of review from Genesis to Revelation as to what he really believed about things and it was very very excellent and very very special I really really enjoyed that on the, One of the meetings I went to was a ladies' meeting. And uh, one of the um, shining stars of the Word of Faith movement, hi, hi, wife, was preaching. And I must say, I, I got turned off completely. All she could talk about was how many dresses, how many houses, how many cars, how many... Special suits that cost the earth she'd been given, and how she'd bought. They'd bought houses for their grandchildren, and how they'd put money aside for their grandchildren, and how they'd done this and how they'd done that. And at the end of it, she was we supposed. She was supposed to be telling us how to pray, and that we were to pray fervently. And when you pray fervently, this is what you get: houses clothes, cars, and all this stuff. And uh, then at the right, right at the very end, she burst into tears, and she started to tell us the story about her daughter, who'd been married twice, was divorced again, and how she had um, four children. And, the, and the, final, the last divorce happened just when she was eight months pregnant. And she had to rescue her from um, up in the mountains. And um, they bought her a house. And the daughter, when she came into the house, fell down on the floor and cried and said, I don't know why you're so good to me when I've messed up so badly. And I thought, well, what a shame. All these houses, all these cars, all these clothes. And you can't give a proper um, foundation for your child's life so that they end up in such a mess. Um, I just thought, well, um, thank God (laughs) for different teaching and different understanding because it's much more precious that your child stays in the faith than however many cars and houses, and dresses, and suits, and all those things. And I just thank God for what I have, and what God's given. His, they're far more precious than houses, and cars, and clothes, really. And the um, lovely thing that we happened was that we met, I don't know if you, any of you remember, Cecilia Mercedes, who came from Mexico... They came with the Archbishop one time. They run children's centers in Mexico. And she has seven, now they've now expanded, and they have seven children's centers in different cities in Mexico. And uh, she said to me, oh, how did you enjoy the ladies' meeting? And uh, they do a very similar work to Bill Wilson in the centers, these city centers. And I said, I'm glad you weren't there, (laughs) I said, you'd have been upset. (laughs) She said, oh, thank God for that. She said, I can't understand what goes on in this country. She said, they have so much and they don't understand what to do with it. Um, But uh, it was lovely to see her again. Everything's going well for them. Their work is expanding and God is blessing them in wonderful ways. Another thing that had happened was that there was, there's a regent there called Charlie Watson who has a big um, car, uh, what do they call them? Dealership um, in the, in the, In another part of America and he's been on the He's been on the regents Committee long before we ever got there Um, He was the one that gave the Archbishop the limousine that he had in in um, Africa and um, They've had all they've had a handicapped son um, Who died just the week before the ICBM and at 21 years of age and his wife? has always stayed home to look after this boy. He was um, healed at the age of um, 18 months uh, from cerebral palsy, I think. And then, and he, so he was healed until the age of four and then he had another seizure and never recovered. So his wife was obviously devastated that, um, although in some ways relieved, but devastated that things had happened that way. And so Oral, bless his heart, had sent their jet up to um, collect them so they could come down to ICBM. And he especially wanted to bless them and help them. And um, Charlie, we always have liked Charlie. He's such a practical, down-to-earth fellow. You know, he's none of these high-flying spiritual people he's a car dealer, he's very practical, he's a dear, he's got such a kind heart, and he's really taken um, to the work in Mexico with Mercedes and Cecilia, and he spends much of his time and much of his money down there. And... uh, So we were able to talk to his wife. I'd never met her before, but I spent, I made a special effort to talk with her, and Michael spent time with them, and she said, you know, of all these big ministries here, this is at the end of the time, she said, of all these big ministries here, and all that they've said and done for us, they've prayed for us, they've prophesied over us, she said, but you and your husband somehow made the difference. And so that was lovely that we could just help her over that terrible sadness of her son dying. And um, so it was a very useful time, very profitable time. Bishop Reed um, was very excited with this book. It has really helped him with his um, doctorate of ministry work and he has been very encouraged and and challenged by it. Um, T.L. Osborne recommended this book to him. We went to visit dear T.L. Osborne. He's in fine fettle, really looking forward to coming here in a couple of weeks. And... um, Uh, he's so excited about what Michael's writing about in his doctorate of ministry, and he hates it when Michael calls it his demon. He said, don't tell me about any more demons. (laughs) I spent all my life casting those out. (laughs) So he's so precious and so thrilled with what Michael's writing. And so he's he's into it, he helps him, and he wants... Um, to encourage him in everything that he's doing so we're looking forward to having him we're looking forward to having Charles Green he's excited about coming he's of a similar generation to T.L. Osborne they've known each other for years and so I think the pastors will find him a great benefit and help to them okay (laughs) Yeah.
1: Okay, you did all right. Come back for it. Yeah, if you haven't got a copy, uh, the, I got copies in the bookshop if you're interested. This book's about the um, uh, foundation of um, the Pentecostal movement. And deals with the holiness movement, which it came from, and it's, it's fascinating because uh, originally they started, you know uh, with entire sanctification, uh, which was Wesley's want. Um, and um, the holiness movement um, basically was the foundation of Pentecost. Um, the Americans claimed Pentecost as happening at Azusa Street, which it didn't, of course. Uh, that was where S- Seymour was, and he concocted the doctrine of tongues as initial evidence, which if you believe it, uh, you believe it, and if you don't, you're like me. Um, I, I mean, I, I spoke in tongues when I was filled with the Holy Ghost, but I've seen people who have prophesied and who have healed the sick, who obviously have filled with the Holy Ghost, or a man like Martin Lloyd-Jones, um, tremendous preacher um, never spoke in tongues so I, I can't buy his doctrine but um, they they ascribe it to that but interesting enough Irvin uh, in uh, what was it 1824 um, in London had the outpouring of the spirit where they spoke in tongues and prophesied and um, basically that was the foundation of the Pentecostal movement, but the Americans like to claim it for themselves, but you know, when you're over in America you just smile at them, you know, because they threw out tea into the sea and uh, ignorant, you know but there you are and um, what can you say, I've got a few of them here Um, but um, you know, you can't help it, can you America thinks they invented the wheel too, you know, and everything else. I point out, I I was sitting with a historian. Um, He's one of the region's really nice fellow. Um, I can't remember his name now. What is it? Simon. Very nice guy. Uh, And he was saying, well, of course, he said, you know, he was talking about history. I said, history? America hasn't got history. I mean, they've only been around a few hundred years. We can't call that history. Um, And, of course, he's only studied American history. But what's fascinating, I never realized, and you'll find it in the book, um, a lot of the error in the church, spiritual warfare, and all that nonsense where they think there are demons over cities, came, it originated... um, out of a Jesuit priest in 1590 who was trying to prove that the Pope wasn't the Antichrist. So he wrote um, a th- theory on uh, the Book of Revelation, concocted it, got it all together, worked out there were seven stages of prophetic utterance. Uh, now, the Roman Church, the, the, the Catholics, banned it in 1820. However, um, Irving translated it and wrote a 203-page preface to it uh, to prove that um, his, his theory, which J.N. Darby stole, because they, they got together, he stole it and separated it anyway when tongues came along. J.N. Darby had started the Brethren movement, and the whole of Christendom has been bugged with this terrible eschatology that came from the Catholics, believe it or not, from a Jesuit priest. Trying to absolve the Pope from being the Antichrist. I mean, you know, I've met people who prophesied that Jimmy Carter was the Antichrist. I've met other people that said that Sad Man Hussein was. I've met other people, they, they change it every, every so often in fact in India they just have a big chart and they rub out and put the new Antichrist um, uh, and put a new name in uh, and of course then there was that evil man Schofield who never was a scholar but studied prophecy for 30 years and produced the Schofield Bible which has deceived half of Christendom for so many years and if you have a Schofield Bible burn it it's terrible misleading deceptive and horrible. Uh, and it goes into seven stages so so Darby figured out the three prophetic stages that already happened and four were to come and the whole thrust of evangelism has been based and A.B. Simpson and Dwight Moody and those based their uh, evangelize and win the world to Christ in our generation on Darby's false teaching and You discover from that came the idea of British Israelites. And the British Israelites, they believed the Anglo-Saxons, that's the Americans and the English, were going to win the world to Christ because we were the lost ten tribes. Did you know that? One of the lost ten tribes. And the whole thing in Christendom for 200 years has been bound up with idiocies from a man who really was obnoxious in the extreme. And Darby um, separated from the Plymouth Brethren. He became an exclusive brother. And when things weren't working well in England, he went over to America. And they all bought the idea. So A.B. Simpson, who's often put over his book on evangelism, put over as a, a real textbook, he was a British Israelite. And you realize the source of it all. Well, along comes uh, Parham in, uh, in the uh, 1890s. And in Kansas, he begins to think about um, getting filled with the Holy Ghost and the gifts of the Spirit, which already have been in, you know, moving since the early part of the 1800s. And along he comes, and he comes up with this idea of Um, getting people filled with the Holy Ghost and he had a Bible school called Shiloh and so he got all his students to study it, and they decided that the way to know you were filled with the Holy Ghost is you should speak in tongues. Now it's interesting that his sister who was at uh, the Bible school at the time says that it's not true what he said. But then, who knows? Anyway, they, they had an outpouring of the Spirit in 1901 At Parham's. And then you'd got John Dowie, of course, who'd also built Zion City. And John Dowie decided that he was the chief apostle, so he had uh, appointed other apostles. And then he decided he was Elijah, who was going to herald in the return of the Lord. And they were expecting the Lord to come any year. And then there was going to be seven years of tribulation, according to J.N. Darby's concocted stupidity. And Along comes Parham who decides that actually Dowie isn't the true Elijah, he is. So you have a second Elijah and then there was another man called Sanford and he decides that he really was the Elijah so he appoints an apostolic team and then he thinks about it and he says well the reason we can't evangelize the world, this is in 1901, is because of the spirit powers over countries and over cities. And so he goes out and buys a fleet of ships to sail round the seven continents to break the spirit powers over the lands. And of course, that didn't work, but it was a nice theory. And so he he sets off for three years. Dowie um, becomes a bigamist, and that all collapses at Zion. They go bankrupt. Um, Sanford tries to come in and take that over Palm tries to take it over I mean a right pickle it was and then along comes Dayton who moves into Seymour still in Azusa Street uh, and he's only got 60 people worldwide revival and along comes Dayton and he starts taking meetings there and Seymour doesn't like it because he believes in the finished work um, the, by this time, the Pentecostals have got seven experiences you can have, believe it or not. You know, you get born again, then you get sanctified, entire sanctification. Then you get baptized in the Holy Ghost, and I can't remember the others. I mean, who wants to remember seven? Anyway, along comes Dayton. He, he, he brings it down to just one experience. Born, filled with the Holy Ghost, speak in tongues. I mean, let's have it... We have to have a real experience of God. So they all divide, fight like dogs. It's a fascinating book. I mean, I just love it. I mean, you can't believe it that what Wagner, that silly man over in... Um, well, a man with a name like Wagner, he's bound to be wrong, isn't he? Um, but there, he, there it is. You see that they were doing this in... 1800s they were doing it in the 1900s now they're doing it in the year 2000 the same errors cropping up all over again exactly the same things pointing their apostles setting themselves up and believing they've got the truth and so history just teaches you how stupid men are And they were all believing that Christ was imminently going to return. And I mean, we had the lunatics Y2K, you know, year 2000. There was one guy over in America prophesied that for, uh, you know, all the planes were going to drop out of the sky because the computers were all going to go wrong and all that junk. People were buying up food parcels to keep themselves when you couldn't buy or sell because all industry was going to collapse it didn't happen but these guys now are writing other books now they're trying to scare the pants off everyone with the latest thing which is um a video i can't remember. what's it called now um left what left behind yeah left behind for goodness sake You know, someone comes home, he's an airline pilot, and he comes home, half his passengers vanish out the airline, comes home, and his wife and kids have gone. He wasn't a Christian, so he's left behind. Uh, And, you know, along comes... uh, And, you know, they flog it. It's a billion-dollar business. That's what it is. And then they've got all their charts telling you what's going to happen. Um, did you know a great tribulation did you now what do i believe about it i'll tell you what i believe it's all a load of junk the whole lot of it far as i'm concerned when the lord returns and winds everything up you'll know until then god didn't say we should know the times or the seasons he said father knows them and this nonsense that people talk getting people frightened spitless is a stupid thing So get the book, it's good reading, Uh, it's fun, and it will educate you. And then when you listen to people, uh, you will realize that they don't know what they're talking about. I don't either. Uh, I've talked with Dr Hayden and we decided to write the book the day after it's happened. That would be the only accurate one. Uh, What nonsense, for instance, the tribulation, seven years. Derby worked out a way that the church is going to be secretly raptured or ruptured. don't know which. And and off they go. And people are left behind. And then, well, if you want to know what I think about it, I think we're already in the tribulation. Because in the millennial time, rather, millennium, uh, and in the tribulation. Because any country that has Clinton as a president... And then as Tony Blair is a president, it must be the years of tribulation. And with Prescott, as, well, he's not Minister of Transport anymore, is he? What is he now? Well, he's, he's a boxer anyway, he hits people. Um, what? He's leader of the house, yeah, nut house. Um But when you start thinking, I cannot believe we'll get a new heaven and a new earth, and then the devil's going to be released on the earth. The new heaven and new earth. And there's going to be a rebellion against God. I can't believe that. But what I do believe is man lives in rebellion now. And when you look at scripture, there is no way. They're kind of concocted interpretations. And what they've done, they've tried to use history to prove it. I remember years ago, when we started the church, we had a young man. It was Simon. Came to me. Oh no, don't be embarrassed, Simon. And he said, "Hey, he said, there's this this prophet over in Spain. He's had a revelation from God." I said, "What is it?" And he showed me the letter. Jimmy Carter is the Antichrist. I mean, a peanut farmer, the Antichrist. Uh, uh, you know, and this guy believed it, didn't he? So did Simon. He asked me what I thought. I said, a load of old rubbish. Uh, uh, but people want to think these things. And when you look in history, you realize they've been doing it since the first century. There's interesting... Uh, the, um, what were they, Montanists? Um, they they wanted to in in 180 they were wanting to return back the gifts of the spirit to the church And, and the only trouble was they went a bit extreme and they believed their prophecies were equal to the word of God and that's why you got cessationism which came in Augustine said no the gifts of the spirit went out and the whole of the church went into the dark ages so called Although I think we're in the dark ages. Sometimes when I listen to some of the preachers. Dear Lord. I mean there's one guy. You know he, he re- rephrased the word blessing. He said it means empowerment. Now where he got it from. It was a lovely idea. So then he, he rewrites the whole of the uh, Genesis. With his word empowerment. And, and the next thing you know. You're empowered to make money. You're empowered to do this. Uh, and he just changed the word. Well, that's that's postmodernist. When you don't like something or don't agree with it, you redefine it. And when you redefine the word, you make nonsense of it. Uh, and what we have to understand is, we're not of the world. We're Christians. We don't go by experience. We go by God's word, and God's word and truth is a lamp to our feet on how to walk, how to live. And we don't go the other way where we say experience will give us revelation. I'm, I, I fear when I hear these people, you know, they have revelation from God. And they start with that and then find proof scriptures for it. Fatal. That's what the prophets do. Come along, prophesy over you, tell you things. Anyway, this book you'll find helpful. is written by a man who's dear man. Um, T.L. met him. And he spent 15 years writing this book. He was a slow slow writer. He was dyslexic, really. No, no, no. He's a great guy. Uh, And you'll, you'll like it. So if you're a person who's interested in the everlasting gospel, you ought to get hold of it, read it. You'll find there are real interesting things. And then you can start following it through in Scripture and looking at it. It really opened my eyes. I didn't realize the connections. The Christian world is a very small world. Error comes by individuals. J.N. Darby has done a lot of damage for generations. And no one realizes who he was. It's like Watchman Nee. I find people read Watchman Nee. And they don't understand he was exclusive brethren. He opposed the revival in China. And they don't realize that. And he wrote a book, The Spiritual Man. And then you had Jessie Pen-Lewis who messed up the Welsh revival. She saw demons everywhere. You know, she ended up in one meeting throwing a a water jug at the piano because it had a demon in it. Not the water jug, the piano. And, And so, I don't know. You look at it all and you think, dear God. And in 1947... Branham had a revelation he was Elijah and so he was coming to herald in the last and when he died over 80 people stayed around his grave for a week night and day waiting for him to come out the grave they built a pyramid on it I've seen the pyramid in St. Louis and they waited for him to arise from the dead because he was one of the two prophets well he didn't wake up and he's still in there and the pyramid's still over the top So, and and the Lord didn't return. I mean, how can people be that stupid? Well, look at the person next to you and then you'll know the answer to that. I mean, people believe such silly things. And what God wants us to do is look at Scripture, rightly divide it, and use it as a touchstone for truth. The I, 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 more I go to America, the more I wonder why I go. Um, they buy anything. They really do. Uh, and you listen to them. Uh, and what hope is there when there's kids starving on the streets and people are discussing having designer suits? You imagine one guy gets up and boasts, you know, his suit's $6,000. $6,000 suit for goodness imagine you spill something on it you have a heart attack I mean you know and they buy $30,000 watches with diamonds in Rolex who wants a stupid watch like that probably go wrong uh, and all sorts of ideas and then you've got someone like Mercedes bless her down in in Mexico They've got 500 street children. They're feeding them. They're fighting to feed them every day and look after them and educate them. And you think, what is Christianity? Is it the man in the $6,000 suit or the Mercedes woman rescuing kids that are starving on the streets of Brazil, getting them in homes, giving them an opportunity for life and education, health and saving them. What's the truth? Well, I know what I think. And it's where people's priorities are. What are you living for? And all over the world, you've got to ask the question, why are people living? Is it for affluence? I don't believe in people being dropouts. Uh, That young man in uh, wherever I was, Venezuela. He had hair down, you know, on his shoulders, all over his ears. I looked at him, I mean, I said, look, if you're going to interpret for me, you'd get a haircut. Not having you looking like a tramp or a beatnik, that's not a way to live. You know, dress decent, don't you come looking like that. And by the end, he got a decent haircut, he looked smart, he got a suit on, he got a shirt and tie. I mean, you, you know, there's just respect. That's it. If God's met you on the inside, it'll show on the outside. Really will. And it doesn't mean that I'm I, I believe that it's a sign of holiness, I just think there's there's respect, there's rightness, and that's it. But it changed his life. When you tell people to do something, it transforms their whole life. And you don't understand that there's uh the point of obedience with God. You can get offended. He could have got offended. He didn't. Some people do get offense, then they get bitter. Rude of bitterness springing up defiles many. Some people don't like it. There's a lot of people got offended with Jesus. There is always an offense in the cross. You know, where really your self-esteem is not, and you feel you've been affronted. Well, that shows you've got a real ego and pride problem. I mean, who are you to be so proud that you get offended? The Pharisees didn't like it. They'd got their standard, their view of things. They knew how important they were. It says, a root of bitterness springing up defiles many. Do you know how it defiles? It defiles with words. There's power in words. Watch out. Because the devil's a destroyer. He's a divider. Schism comes by someone who speaks words. They have power. You think, oh, I can cope with that. No, you can't. Because there's a spirit power working behind it. There are many voices in the earth. None of them is without signification. There's tremendous power in words to destroy, to kill, to rob, to steal. That's what the devil does. And believe me... He's around, but he's around attacking your mind and the way you think. That's what it's about. That's where the strongholds of Satan are. They're in the mind. And once it lodges in your mind, traps you. And the teachings of J.N. Darby, they're a snare. The number of people that used to read their Moffat Bible and all his notes they took to be right. He wasn't even a, a scholar. For goodness sake. He spent 30 years just studying um, prophecies. And then he wrote his own notes. Propagating J.N. Darby's rubbish. Which came from a Jesuit priest. Hey. When you know the source of things. I mean did you know A.B. Simpson was a British Israelite? With Moody? Did you know that? Well that's you know you start realising the white man isn't superior to the black man and the black man isn't superior to the white man and anyway I'm pink Uh, you know but the idea and the notions that go on in the name of Christianity we need to grow up I was sitting in a no I better not tell you that private meeting but I, i i i i i couldn't believe the attitude of people let me ask you this what do you think in your mind because as you think so are you what ticks where does the devil intend to destroy what does he intend to steal from you Do you know how the devil steals and kills and destroys? I'll tell you how he does it. He gets you to walk out of the will of God for your life. How does he do it? He makes you think that the servants of God are against you. That's how he does it. Simple. And then he gets you to think against God. You end up with a kind of bitterness of Adam. Well, ha! God, it's not my fault. The woman you gave me, it's someone else's responsibility, never yours. Hey, if you're in a mess for any reason, I want to tell you who got you in the mess. You. If you're living wrong, I want to tell you who's responsible. You. Not what anyone else did. It's what you did. Luther and Calvin in the Reformation brought it back to the responsibility of the individual. You are today what you are because that is what you want to be. And it doesn't matter what your parents did, your grandparents did, your uncle Arthur did or Auntie Ethel did. It doesn't matter what you were taught. It doesn't matter how you were abused. You are responsible for you. And the gospel of Jesus Christ says you can change. Redemption means you can start afresh. But the first thing you have to identify is where the problem is. There's only two people in the transaction. God and you. And God isn't wrong. So who does that leave? Well, who does that leave? Who? Who? Not your brother, not your sister, not, not your father, not your mother, you're responsible for you. And when we take it out of that, uh, and the whole spiritual warfare is another way of putting blame on someone else. And that's the paradigm that's in our society. Well, it's not Blair's fault, it's the years of conservative rule. It's not my fault, Uh, you know. The Bulger kids, the 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 kids that um, killed James Bulger, uh, they were ten years old. Now they're saying, well, you know, they had a bad upbringing, a bad start. But there's lots of kids that have bad starts, but they don't go hacking people to death, blinding a little child, beating them with with rocks, then sticking them on a railway line so they get chew to bits hey come on should they be let out never as far as I'm concerned they should have been put in a a criminal mental hospital and that's where they stay I, I don't believe in this they're not rehabilitated and they'll find that out that's it anyone that did what they did isn't fit to be breathing do it to a little baby i can't bear the thought of it so foul and what we've got is everyone wants to say it's not their fault but in the end our responsibility you'll find when you meet the great judgment throne if you don't get your heart right with christ you won't be able to blame anyone god will hold you responsible because the way of salvation and the way of redemption is open to all and if you haven't taken it you are the only one who's going to be responsible for it and you can blame anyone else you like but you have made yourself what you are and what you do with what you are it's very important if God blesses you and God prospers you what do you do with it do you use it on yourself and consume it on yourself or do you use it for the king of kings and lord of lords are you interested in living for Christ and building Christ's kingdom or your own God will hold you accountable you've got to be a wise steward your life is not your own you've been bought with a price you have a tremendous responsibility it's no good saying oh well uh, you know someone upset me well they might have upset you but that doesn't absolve you from your responsibility before God if you want me to be perfect you ought to go to another church because I'll never be perfect I'm brilliant but not perfect I mean if you think I'm not going to offend you at all, you've got another thing coming. If you want to take offense, you'll find reason to get offended. That's how the devil operates. Hmm. The people come to me, oh, you looked at me a funny way. I didn't even see him, for goodness sake. I'm My eyes, without my glasses, you know, I'm not that sure who's who. And I say, you know, you looked at me and they they were talking and it didn't even enter my mind. It's like the day someone came up to me, years ago when we started the church, came up to me, 80 people in the room and he came up and he said, God gave me a spirit of discernment. I said, that's very nice. And he said, yeah. And he said, in the meeting you looked at me and I discerned you didn't like me up to that point I hadn't even noticed him but when he told me that I looked at him and said I think I agree (laughs) and you grow up and you know they think you're thinking about them you're paranoid that's the devil stronghold of devil in the mind what are people thinking are you worried they can read your thoughts well why don't you think clean you wouldn't be worried then Why don't you live right? Funny, fear and guilt get hold of people, don't they? You're worried. What do people think what are you? Someone chatting with someone else and they just happen to glance at you, and the next thing you think they're talking about you. Then you think, I wonder what he said about me. And they weren't even talking about you talking about the golf or football something else totally but you can build up all sorts of things because the devil will feed your mind with all sorts of thoughts about what people think that's how he operates he wants to steal from you your peace he wants to steal from you your joy he wants to steal from you life And then you live, you know, dreaming. Oh, what's this person going to do? What's that person? Oh, this could go wrong. That could go wrong. Women have a gift for that, you know. Thinking disasters. It's a gift. And men have an extra gift for it, too. I start thinking, you know. What if this happens? What if that happens? Well, if it does, so what? Do you know, I was in this meeting and a guy got up I couldn't believe it he said "Uh, I want to pray I want to bind the spirit of accidents where's that in the Bible? said you know the devil's causing accidents Uh, that's a load of rubbish you know uh, Richard had fallen over injured his shoulder Oral had had, had, had fractured his hip when he slipped over I mean it wasn't a devil it was an accident Uh, but this there was a spirit you know about, and, and then i hear people they're praying over their kids in the morning to protect them from the devil hey we've got god who loves us he jesus lives in us what's this devil thing the devil's in trouble when we're around but if you have faith in disaster it'll meet you because you believe more in the devil than you're doing god god's your loving heavenly father When I was over in uh, Venezuela, we got in the car with this guy, and he drives like a lunatic. I mean, I thought Colin was a fast driver. He's so slow. I mean, Colin is slow compared to this guy. I tell you, Colin, what's his name? Victor. Victor. He drives, I mean, he is hairy. I couldn't believe it. I never... I thought I'd been in the fastest car in the world with Colin, but not Victor would leave him 100 yards behind. You know, it was incredible. And he said to me, you know, I believe God to protect me. i said to him you know if you drove a little more carefully god would have more chance I mean, you know, for goodness sake. and we drove down the road and uh, lorries had plowed in to i mean the the number of accidents we saw that were horrific and they just come and at uh, traffic lights i noticed at uh, green they all st- stopped you know almost and crept over At Red, they just went for it, and you think, and it was quite an experience. The devil's not in control. We've got a loving heavenly Father. We've got a Saviour. His name is Jesus. We've got an entire redemption. But then we've got to look. I've got a tremendous responsibility. What am I going to do with my life? What am I going to do with what I have, what I am? You youngsters, you know, you're, you're all growing up and God's blessed you with a brain. You've had, most of you had a great education. I was down at the play the other night looking at the kids and thinking, goodness me, they're growing up. And you realise how bold they can be, how capable they are, and you realise God's blessed them what a tremendous responsibility I'd hate them to end up like the preachers I watched who are more interested in how many six thousand dollar suits they've got and how many Rolex watches they've got and what big house they've got and flash car and what next jet they're going to buy is that life but I don't believe in poverty and you know, being one of these Christians that's ever so humble and living in poverty I don't believe in that either but I do believe in doing the will of God got to live for him do what's right if anything ever stirred me up it was being amongst that lot and saying I mean the guy who shot himself bless him he was so depressed he'd had two church splits and uh, he got a two-two and he pointed it. And when he pulled the trigger and it ricocheted off his jawbone, it missed his spinal cord, missed the carotid artery, and lodged just down in his neck. And, and I mean, he couldn't even kill himself decent. Everything he did went wrong. Uh, and you know, it made him deaf. And, and he comes out and Benny Hinn prays for him, and Benny says I couldn't believe it Benny says you know God's really got a work for you to do (laughs) because he spared your life Uh, 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 it was a miracle he was alive bless him he was 60 or I suppose 58, 60 I don't know but his father had been one of the originals with Oral Roberts Ministries right back in the early days in the tent I thought, how can a man get to that position where he's so depressed and and he's getting up on a Sunday and preaching? Terrible. And then I look at the other guys in their flash suits and stuff who don't give a mutt for anyone, got their bodyguards i looked at it you know i was sitting one of the preachers he had 12 bodyguards and they'd all got the kind of earphones like the cia you know with a thing stuck in their ear you know running down their back and they're all built like mr Burst's sofa uh, and you know even in suits they look menacing uh, and when when they got up to pray for people. They kind of stood up in the front and there were two on this side, these big burly guys. Uh, you wouldn't want to meet them for breakfast, I tell you. And there were two on the other side and there were two on the back platform and two over there. And you think, and they were all packing guns. And you think, this is church. I mean, they rush all right. They'd usher you into the next world if you moved one. And little wonder people fell under the power. They were frightened of these big burly guys. You know, one guy was about six foot seven, and his feet were like soup plates. You know, he wouldn't wear. You know, when he moved, and, and you know how how these when they've kind of built up there, they kind of can't walk. They, you know, they've got. Uh, 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 stand, and their arms don't go down at the side. They're kind of all bulging. And they're, you know. And their necks, they're ne- they don't wear ties. They get a length of rope and put it round. I mean, they're so. And they're standing there. Uh, and, you know, then they kind of put press to their ear to listen. And you wonder what they're saying. Get the guy in the second row, you know. Uh, Oh, that was funny, I, I, you know, I, I got up one time, I thought, I, I, I'll, I, I'm I, going to rain on their parade. <laughs> I was going to use another word, but rain on their parade. <laughs> <laughs> it's more polite than, than what I was thinking of doing. But, <laughs> so I said to them, well, <laughs> I've got my riches jacked on $200 and stuff I mean you know come on terrible God wants better of us than that he wants us to value Jesus to lift him up it's good experience to go every so often I'm just glad to get home be home I thank God for people like Mercedes people who go out and really care for the lost want to reach the lost the television stuff forget it uh, you know they I don't know I'm not saying that some of them haven't got real gifts from God uh, communicators they are I mean one, one, one thing they, they took a bucket down the front row with earth in it and got people to spit in it I mean, spitting it, a bucket. Thank God. I didn't go to that meeting, my wife did. Anyway, there was this big guy who spat and missed and hit her hand. Oh. Oh. I think I'd have thrown up. I mean, you know. And that's the way you preach the gospel. I mean, if you'd got a load of kids at the front, they'd all have loved it. But, you know, and you wonder. That actually happened, did not it, darling? Where's Jesus? You know, it's the Word of God. It's not entertainment, not theatre. It's this book. And th- this will help you. Get hold, I, I got about 40 copies. Dr Hayden's read it, Carolyn's read it, I've read it, and Uh, Sheila's read it and I tell you it's nice to know why people believe what they believe why people have have got in the message they've got in and if you look at history you can learn from the mistakes of others so you don't make the same mistakes yourself so important learn where it came from I was amazed that someone like JN Darby could affect the whole of Christendom with one book I was amazed that Moffat destroyed... Schof- did I say Moffitt? Schofield. I beg your pardon. Did I say Schofield before or Moffat? I'd have meant Schofield. What did I say Moffitt for? Well, I knew a man called Moffitt once. He's dead. He's not one nice. Um, so maybe it was that, you know. But Schofield, a Schofield Bible is the most evil Bible. The guy... All he did was study prophecy And worked out his own concocted ideas J.N. Darby People revered it Revered the notes Terrible Nothing to do with truth Do with lies And I was amazed that someone like Sanford Could buy fleets of ships Set up Shiloh A prayer centre where they were going to defeat all the demons over every country and now we've got Peter Wagner hiring 747s to fly over countries to defeat the demons at least in a ship you know you you're really at ground level in a 747 you can go over quick so you say a quick prayer over it and into sea. or then they hire the top rooms in hotels so they can get over the Oh, it's superstition. It's animism. It's nothing to do with Christianity. And it's been going on for hundreds of years. And uh, my next book's going to be exactly that, on, on the errors of it, going through history, church history and the biblical foundation. Why? Because I think people need to know there's a different way. And the different way is redemption. And that's what the pastor's meeting's going to be about. If you've got time, TLO's here. You need to be here. And you guys, for Monday, you know there's, there's um, uh, Miore. Um, he's a great guy. He's a business guy. If you're in business, you need to be here and hear him. He's good. But he puts it from a biblical perspective. But he's not wacky. He's down to earth, practical. And he's got some great ideas and all the big companies like ICI Shell um, use him but he also goes to small businesses and sorts them out and he, he, he's he got creative ideas of how to succeed take advantage of it I'm trying to get the best in Charles Green he don't believe it. I, I was talking with Charles uh, and at lunch you know he's a, a real dear old fellow and I said to him, you know, someone went on about eschatology. Said, oh, Lord, I said, not that rubbish. And Charles whispers over to me, he said, thank God. He said, someone else, who's sane. <laughs> he said, I thought they all believed that, I said, no, Charles, I don't believe it. So with all their charts and all their nonsense. Uh, and he's a good man, TLO. He's really looking forward to being here and Here's a real encouragement. And there are a few of them left. So let's take advantage of them. So if you're available uh, and you can get free, make time to hear what they've got to say. Because there's going to be quite a few church leaders from around the world. At the moment, we've got over 200 coming. And it's good to get amongst them, get to know what's going on. Don't buy everything. There's some people coming that, as far as I'm concerned, they're so off the wall that I think the wall fell down. But then, you, you know, that's the way people are. But you can learn. As Benson Ederholzer said to me one time, I was listening to a guy preach and his braces were bouncing, wore red braces, and he was, you know, getting himself worked out. His blood vessels standing out on his neck and... I leant over to Benson and I said, what are we doing here listening to this blithering idiot for? Dear old Benson, he reached over, put a hand on my knee and in his own inimitable way, he said, brother, listen to a fool so you can learn how not to be like him. <laughs> uh, and I collapsed laughing. I hope he didn't think I got the Toronto blessing, but you learn, you learn by experience, you learn by things and we all need to learn we're in life and life is learning and when you stop learning you finish. so do take advantage of it I was thrilled we we're going to start the masters course in September uh, and I'm so determined people go on with their education because it's so important you need to It's so important to understand that out there, there are a few people with answers. God has given us the answer. We need to live it. Look after it. Okay? So do make yourself available, uh, if you can, when TL's here. I think it'll be a great time. You'll love Charles Green. He's a dear fellow. Uh, he He has a few idiosyncrasies. Like he, he loves his Harley Davidson motorbike. I mean, you know, he's a little guy. He's what age? I suppose he's 70 something. And he's still got his Harley Davidson. <laughs> he's off in his leathers down the road. I mean, you know, but in America, it's, you've got decent weather and decent roads, I suppose. I, I mean, I like him, but I would never ride one over in this country run you over but over there goodness me they're nice and the weather's decent Richard's looking forward to being here as well and um, Marilyn Hickey sends her regards to everyone she'll be back at the end, end part of the year so God is giving us the best people to come and um, Tom Matthews is coming uh, a couple of weeks' time, I think. And he'll also share at the 1830s. Uh, um, Tom's a great guy, uh, alive, got reality, and um, you'll enjoy him. So take advantage of it. Over the summer, we've got great things happening, and I'm thrilled. I must say, I was also thrilled to see the roadway they put in at Prizes and all the hard work on the flats and getting the buildings done. And the play, I thought, was exceptional. I don't know how many went to it, La and the Witch and the Wardrobe. But I thought the kids did brilliantly. It was well done. And um, I'm just thrilled. And it's just nice to be home. Except it isn't half hot, you know. Um, we kept, When we went over to whatever island it was, Aruba, And we got off the plane. It was 107 degrees. And I thought, oh, good. Thank God for the wind. And, and, you know, when we got to Tulsa for the ICBM, it was about 102. And I thought, this is too hot. Uh, You know, I needed a bit of wind and cool. And it didn't blow. It was just so still. But we managed to get one game of golf in, in Tulsa. And uh, thank God the wind blew and it was about 87 to 90 degrees, which was all right with a wind. But otherwise, it was hot. But that's suffering for Jesus, see. I suffer all these preachers and I come out. Uh, what, what was nice was to go with the, the chap who owned the car dealerships. We used to go out for meals and to sit and you could talk Normally. And with people like Mercedes, so you can have good fellowship with some of them. Uh, anyway, do invite people along, do take um, leaflets, and if you can help in any way, um, the pastors are gonna come f- from all over, I think they st- come in next Monday, they start coming in. Uh, make them feel welcome, let them know, that we care for them. And um, if you find, you know, that a few of them are bulls, it's okay. They have nowhere else to go. They need somewhere to go. So they come to you. And remember, you were uh, more odd than they were a little while ago. And we've still got our doubts about you. So we'll have a great time. Okay. Do stay. Have a drink over in the other hall. God bless you. See you Friday.